0: The first degree.
1: first degree, first degree, first degree,
0: first degree, first degree, first degree, the first degree. You see it on the news, you see it on the paper,
2: you see it on Facebook. These things are supposed to happen in movies, not in real life. Honestly, I think it's unfathomable. It's like bludgeoning someone because from what I remember, She was bludgeoned, and then that's what killed her. And then afterwards, he chose to burn her. So that's such an incredibly personal attack. Hey, guys, and welcome to The First Degree, the true
1: crime podcast that you might end up on. My name is Jack Bannock. I'm sitting across from Alexis Linkletter and next to Billy Jensen, and we are here really late. We're starting at 9 p.m. Way past our bedtime. What have we done? We've H-Pole. We've been
3: putzing around. Had a beer had, had a some beer. maker's mark
0: we had some maker's mark
3: there was a bag of doritos here that i had one out of but they were not fully eaten but attempted to eat them and then now we're here and then we gossiped for a little while yeah
0: i didn't i was not a part of this yes gossip. yes, wait, yes wait, you wait, were were you, were you gossiping about me
3: you were here we talked about the bachelor team. <laughs>
0: oh that's all right. oh, that the, oh is that considered gossip yeah i all I, right for
1: everybody that's listening to this i'm sure that you think our group chat is about like you know the cases that we're gonna do and maybe some like sending each other murder articles or whatever and while we do do that and we do do that however we also talk about the bachelor yes and billy has some opinions yes more opinions than i would have expected
0: yesterday's uh texting was was embarrassing on multiple <laughs> levels. But you know what? I'll, I'll listen. There's like two hours out of the week that I don't do crime. I know. And it's that I watch The Bachelor. The
1: Bachelor is the ultimate escape for a it profession really is. like yours.
0: And I'm just wondering about what's wrong with this guy that two women have broken up with him.
3: You mean so far on The Bachelor? So
0: far because on they the don't want to have sex
3: with a virgin. Seems pretty either. fucking obvious to me.
0: Yeah. He's a virgin in.
3: Literally, if I met a virgin now, I would
1: run for the hills. No. there's, the, I mean, there's no way the sex is good ever. And then you have to teach them. I just like...
3: Oh, I don't want to put any more and effort. And then, then they're going to get a taste of it. And then you have to worry about them cheating on you for the rest of their life. Because <laughs> yeah. then they're going to want to suck. going Because he's going to be,
0: he's gonna be wondering, wondering about, like, what is, like, what is like no. anybody else like? Yeah,
3: because you can't marry the per- the first person you have sex with. It's a hard no. Right?
0: Well, I... I,
3: Did
0: you? No. Oh. <laughs>
3: Remember, Billy Jesus. told us about the day he lost his virginity. It was on a certain day. He's like, <laughs> oh, yeah. it's the day. I'm like, what? Yes, it's
0: May, th- it May 13th, 19th, <laughs> Yeah, okay. the day before
3: right. my birthday. I forgot <laughs> about that.
1: How the fuck do you remember that? I try to block mine a- out of my memory forever. Isen- Billings, Isen- Montana. Isen- Isen- Montana. I-
0: Eisenhower Park, Long Island.
1: You, had, you lost midnight. your virginity in a park?
0: In a park. It was outside, yeah.
1: Oh, kinky yeah. to begin
0: with. Yeah, well, you know.
1: Must public sexual so, 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 so,
0: Yeah, you know what? You have to do what you have to do. All right. I'm gonna get right into the uh, the holiday. Happy
1: Wait, what's the date? February twentieth.
0: It's February twentieth, twenty nineteen. Happy National Handcuff Day.
3: Ooh, so On this epic. day
0: in nineteen twelve, the patent was granted to Mr. George A. Carney. For the uh, the handcuffs, a s- sort of swinging arm type of adjustable handcuff. There were obviously handcuffs before, but this is more of the swingy type. But it is also National Cherry Pie Day. Mm.
1: Is there any sort of a crime linked to a pie?
0: <sighs> crime linked to a pie? I mean, you're putting me on the spot here, but there or is a, a crime. There is a crime. There is a woman who killed her husband. With a uh, banana pudding. Mm. So that's close to a pie. All right. But it's also clean out your bookcase day. So, and this is important for me because you need to clean out your bookcase to to make room for new books, oh. which is important for me because I have an announcement coming up soon. But I do have an announcement that I will be at the Gramercy Theater in March. If you're in New York City, I will be teaching you how to solve a murder as part of the Death Becomes Us festival. So if anybody Uh wants to do that, go to deathbecomesus.com, I guess, and and buy a ticket and then come meet me and a very special guest too.
1: Buy your ticket, support Billy and our podcast. Yes
0: so
3: see him in the flesh he's not him. translucent I, I am not translucent
0: i will be fun it will be and you will solve a murder by the end of the night and you'll be able to say i've solved a murder is
1: it like a fake murder like you're playing clue no
0: it's a real murder you're
1: solving a real murder we are going
0: to do a real murder oh, listen i can't say that we're going to solve it but we are going to on, work on a real murder. we are going to work on open cases absolutely Oh, that's cool yeah
1: i like Should that go? yeah what is it
0: it's March 21st, I believe. All right, we're there. It's the Thursday, it's Thursday Night Gramercy Theater in New York City.
1: Buy your tickets. All yes. right. On that note, let's get into our case. Right into it. Jumping in. Okay, so our case starts in the beautiful Haley, Idaho, and we're dating back to August 17th, 2007.
3: And for those of you who haven't been to Idaho, it is stunningly beautiful and Picturesque mountains, ski resorts, lodges, really all the things Jack loves, Mm -hmm. hot chocolates, furry boots, apres ski shit, all of it. Crop tops. Exactly. But they're they're also suburban neighborhoods. And in one of these neighborhoods in the early morning of August 17th, a jogger was making his rounds around one of these beautiful neighborhoods, and he came across what appeared to be charred remains lying by a trash bin on the street in a residential neighborhood. And as soon as this was noticed by this person, the area was immediately taped off, the police reported to the scene, locked everything down, and they really did, what they came to find was this very, very grisly crime scene. And the victim, who was unrecognizable, was lying face down on the pavement, and directly across from the remains was a home that had a large pool of blood on the driveway, And there was another large pool of blood about 10 feet from where the body was found. And the body appeared to be burned and more so around the chest and the head. So that's where, I guess, where the source of the burn originated in that area.
0: So obviously, this is going to draw a lot of attention in this little quiet neighborhood. A lot of people came outside to see what was going on. And at the same time, the police show up. They want to speak to the homeowners who are closest to the scene, especially the family who lived at the home that was that was closest to this bloodstained driveway. And the woman who lived there was named Maria Marez. And quickly, they learned that she had a 16-year-old daughter whose name was Margarita, Mar- Margarita Guardado. And she went by the name Maggie for short.
1: And we'll be referring to as Maggie. She went by story. Maggie. Yeah. So... This mom is frantic, and she's explaining to the police that she kind of got worried when her daughter Maggie vanished the night before, but she wasn't overly concerned. Maggie was a really independent teenager. It was summer vacation. She had a bunch of friends, and she had this new older boyfriend that things were getting serious with. So there's a bunch of different places that she could have been. So her being gone wasn't super... Like unexpected. But she became hysterical at the prospect that these remains that were close to her house could belong to Maggie.
3: Right. And due the, due to the fact that the body was severely burned, a visual ID on the scene was not possible. So what the police did is they took a picture of this very distinct ring that Maggie was wearing. And the mother confirmed with this photo that, oh my God, this is Maggie. This is my daughter's Maggie's ring. And It's a nightmare, truly. So who we have to talk about this community and to talk about Maggie, now that we know that this victim is Maggie, is one of Maggie's friends from school named Maddie. And she was awesome. She reached out to us, and she has some very interesting insight on this case and is going to share it with us throughout the episode.
2: Haley, Idaho, is a touristy town. It is in a group of A couple small little towns, so Bellevue, Idaho, Haley, Idaho, Ketchum, Idaho, and then Sun Valley. And Sun Valley is the ski resort, and there is all walks of life there. It goes from extreme wealth to people just barely making it. Um, There's lots of ski bums there. And in the town, it's a little bit of an interesting dynamic because we have influential people in the valley that live there almost year-round. Um, people like Demi Moore and Bruce Willis and Jamie Lee Curtis. Um, those individuals, they were there. And it's just an interesting dynamic. It's a cool little town, great to visit, and it's incredibly safe. Um, I don't remember people locking their doors at night. I don't remember people locking their cars, um, leaving keys in the ignition. Just very safe and idyllic, I would describe it. Very idyllic, almost magical. It's a great place to grow up. I mean. As a whole, it's a super safe town, nothing happens there, like it's shocking when something happens there. Maybe a car accident happens and that's about it. Our high school is around, when I graduated at least, it was around 900 students total and that's freshman through senior. And our graduating class was just around 250, so definitely everyone knew everyone. I doubt there was anyone in my class I didn't know or hadn't interacted with, but We, Maggie was in classes with me multiple times. She was in, I remember her being in English classes because she was really great at English. She was always in the advanced courses and she was awesome at it. It, She was a standout, especially considering that she was from a Hispanic family and her mom and dad and siblings were definitely, like predominantly spoke Spanish in the home. And so I I knew her well and most of the kids in my class We had all at least interacted with her because she was in accelerated learning classes. When you meet Maggie, she was super nice, yes, but she was sassy. Um, That's one thing I felt like wasn't well portrayed when her story happened and the media came out and talked about her is that, yes, she was smart, she was driven, but she was very, very sassy and she would talk back to teachers if she wanted to. She was not anyone's best friend right off the bat. She wasn't super friendly. She had an attitude, but at the same time, when you became her friend, she was awesome. I think a lot of that had to do with like trust issues. Um, I know that her parents, she came from a divorce home, I believe, and so I don't even know how much her dad was actually involved in her life from what I remember, but she definitely seemed like she had some trust issues but once you got to know her and she trusted you then she was great but i would say even knowing her as well as i did she still had a lot of sass and attitude to her but she was smart and driven for sure
0: so let's talk about maggie she was actually born in los angeles california but the family moved to idaho um, the year that she was born and they've lived there ever since she was 16. She was about to be a junior in high school and was scheduled to start back up uh, at high school two weeks after this murder occurred. By all accounts, she was a normal teenager. She went to dances. She had boyfriends, a lot of close friends. She loved music. She loved rock in particular. Just before her murder, and these are the, th- the things that get me in these cases like this. Like Just before her murder, her brother had given her electric guitar for her birthday and she had just started learning how to play. And those are the things that get me whenever I learn about victims. Mm-hmm. It's like she, she was like on the, on the cusp of something. Maybe she would have learned it learned it and like written an amazing song. Maybe she wouldn't. But like she, she had it there. It right. was right there. When
3: I was reading too that she was teaching, trying to teach herself how to play. Yeah. Because she just loved me, rock music.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. So and, uh, you know, and even though she was born and grew up in the U.S., she also had a passion for all types of Mexican music.
3: And friends and family
1: described her as being super fun to be around, loved to make everybody laugh. And she was well known for her great laugh and her superstar pose, which I'm a, is from the movie, superstar. right? The-
3: yeah. The armpit. Yeah. The- <laughs> <Superstar>. <laughs> or wasn't it like a... Yeah, exactly. Yeah.
1: That's I, what I'm, I'm, ho- I hope that I got that reference. Right. Um, friends at school would tip- typically see her singing and dancing in the hallway. So she obviously like had a fun exuberant personality that everybody seemed to get along with. She was super smart, too. She ranked top in her English as a second language class and won awards for reading. And in two years, she was planning on going to college. So just all around good girl.
3: And everyone in Maggie's family in the neighborhood and basically everyone who heard about this case was completely distraught. And especially due to the fact that it appeared that Maggie had been killed right in front of her own home. Like, this is your place of safety. And... You know, her mother has to continue to live there. And the fact that it's the crime scene seemed to suggest that that's what happened. It was just devastating for everybody because literally it was 20 feet or so from where the body was found. So one of the big questions is obviously, how did this happen? Why did this happen? And who did this? And as the police learned and dug into Maggie's life and what she was doing in the days leading up to the murder... They found out that she had just been released from the hospital after being in a car accident on the way home from a camping trip days before. So Maggie and her new boyfriend, Ricardo Tellez Vargas, had gotten into an accident on the north side of Galena Summit after camping in the wilderness. And in the accident, Maggie suffered a broken collarbone and other injuries, and she was flown by emergency helicopter to St. Alphonsus Regional Medical Center in Boise.
2: when i first discovered that maggie had been murdered it was a little while not a while i should say that. it was i couldn't tell you exactly a time frame of how long it was but i do remember being shocked because literally i want to say like the week before or maybe a couple of days in advance she had been put in the hospital and that was released in the newspaper so back when i was in high school we didn't have smartphones and so Literally, I read the newspaper, and I remember I was nannying for, that was my summer job, and I was nannying for a family, and I, they had brought the newspaper home, and I was reading it, and I saw that Maggie was in the hospital for a car accident. So she had gotten in a car accident, and I, like I said, I couldn't give you exact days, but she got in a car accident, was in the hospital, and her her injuries were severe enough that she had to go to the hospital. I believe she was life lighted, and so they were serious enough, so I knew that. So I was completely shocked when couple days or maybe it was a week later, the paper came out again and it said that Maggie was the one that had been murdered because I was under the impression she was in the hospital for her car accident. So it was shocking. I think all of us couldn't believe it because the timeline was just way too close for it to make sense. But now in hindsight, I understand that she was released from the hospital with her injuries and then I believe it was the next day that she was murdered. So it was pretty quick that it all happened.
1: So we talked about it before, but Maggie had a boyfriend. His name was Ricardo. He was 26 years old, which was a pretty big age difference compared to Maggie. But Maggie's mom explained that she approved of Ricardo and he was a great guy and treated her daughter well, which is all any parent wants for her daughter. Ricardo was a huge stop, step up from Maggie's ex, whose name was Freddie Tellez. And he actually had the same last name as Ricardo, but they were not related Um
3: Ricardo's was hyphen. It was like Tellas Vargas. Right. So Freddie's was just Telas. So when
1: we're doing research, I got very confused. Exactly.
3: And so we'll just refer to them as Freddie and Ricardo going forward. So there's no confusion.
1: So Freddie, her ex, was Maggie's age and went to school with her, but um her mom hated him, and the nature of their relationship was super volatile and all over the place. And Obviously the police finds out that Maggie had a boyfriend and an ex boyfriend. So the first thing they're gonna want to do is speak to both of them and see if either of them were involved.
0: So while that's going on, the medical examiner concluded, and the autopsy came in, that Maggie died from blunt force trauma. And she had been struck in the head and face with a hammer four times. And she had severe wounds above her eye on the left side of her head, about two to three inches deep I mean think about that two to three inches deep and her skull had been broken and crushed so after the bludgeoning occurred Maggie's killer poured a gasoline accelerant all over her and lit her body on fire and they concluded that Maggie was dead before the fire ignited
1: After the discovery of her body, news reports remarked about how crimes like this were not really common in the area. And to put it in perspective, this was the first murder that had occurred in their area in four years. And the last one before that was a high high profile case by a girl named Sarah Johnson where she gunned down her parents in their Bellevue home in 2003. So this is four years after that. And it's very interesting, but um, our connection to this story also knows Sarah Johnson because they all went to high school together.
0: Yeah. And the Sarah Johnson case was a big case.
1: Big case. Yeah. All over the news. All over the news. news, news. All over
0: 2020. I mean, this was a national case.
3: Right. So, I mean, the coverage in in Maggie's case was dwarfed. I mean, by Sarah Johnson, and like, you can't even compare the two. I could barely find any articles on Maggie's case. I couldn't – there was was no news coverage. It's just – it's a very interesting contrast in that there was very little coverage in Maggie's case, and it was very upsetting. But the people who did really care about Maggie's case – so Maria Maris, the mother of Maggie, she actually worked for the city as a custodian – so um many of the public officials knew who she was and she was this sweet uh person who's kind of been in the peripher- periphery of their lives forever at their at their offices and things like that. So the Haley Police Chief Jeff Gunter said, "We've really shed tears on this. Every morning when I go to work, she's the first person I see. This one really hits home because he was seeing this girl's mother mm-hmm. and really wanting to solve it for her and just to see this woman's pain, I mean, that does hit close to home. Where it's like the woman at your office's daughter is murdered. It's, it's insane. So many of these police officers working on this case were very familiar with Maria. And, you know, classmates from school and members of the community set up a memorial photo collage tucked behind some candles and flowers in the family's driveway in, in memoriam and to honor um, Maggie.
0: And while this is going on, the investigation, you know, the investigation keeps going on and the police get their hands on Maggie's phone and they take a look at it. There are calls and texts from both Maggie's boyfriend, Ricardo, and her ex, Freddie, and the records from QS communications confirm that Maggie had called Freddie from her house at 1.34 a.m. And that was only a few hours uh, from when they estimated that her murder took place. So let's talk about Freddie for a second. At this time, he was a 17-year-old student. He was two grades above Maggie. Freddie and Maggie had dated about a year, but had broken up a few months before Maggie was killed.
2: When I first met Freddie, he and I had taken a class together, and he was two years older than us at least I, I think two years older based on school years if i remember right and he was in a class that was for sophomores and so he was two years behind um he kind of had already had a reputation for not being great at school or being driven or wanting to be at school and so he wasn't loud or anything he was pretty quiet but he just wasn't doing anything i remember our teacher constantly having to harp on him to get his work done or to do something or to focus. Nice kid. Like there was nothing about him that um, was mean or intimidating, but he was just more on the quiet side of things.
1: So Maggie had this super overprotective older brother, Raul, who, you know, was kind of looking over all the boyfriends that she ended up dating, but Freddie apparently passed under his radar and he didn't really notice their relationship. He used to hover over her when she was younger, but he wanted to give Maggie space to make her own decisions as she got older. And, but as he like kind of didn't realize what was happening, their relationship was on public display all over the halls of the high school.
2: Maggie and Freddie started dating in high school and they were always pretty on and off. If I remember correctly, I don't think they had a super stable relationship. I distinctly remember in the hallways, because her locker was next to a class. I would enter, um, I want to say like sixth period. It was the last period of the day and her locker was close to it. And I saw multiple times either Freddie and Maggie like making out against the lockers or not doing, they're doing the opposite. And like he would push her against the locker or she'd slam her locker in his face. So it was super volatile, but I would see them very much doing opposing things depending on the day. I think their relationship for our town specifically was not normal. Um, Being from a small high school, everyone knew everyone. I never saw things like that. So to me, I remember telling my best friend, this is so weird. Like, why why does this happen? Why does she let him do that? So for me, I thought it was super odd. I didn't feel like it was high school drama because I feel like that is just so strange to have a high school boy like pushing around a teenage girl. I don't know. That to me was very odd. That was honestly probably my only couple that I knew that would do that stuff in the hallway. I don't remember anyone really making a big deal out of it because frankly, Freddie was a tough kid. He had a rough crowd, a rough reputation for being a little bit on the sketchy side of things, like drugs, things like that, were definitely something that he was surrounded by. We don't have a ton, ton of gangs. At least when I was in high school, there wasn't a ton of gang issue. But if if there was a gang, Freddie was the type of person that would be in it. And so I think honestly, it was like, don't ask, don't tell situation. I don't remember anyone ever talking, thinking like, oh, Maggie's in a rough relationship or there's abuse going on or something of that sort. It was never talked about because people really see it to themselves and socially our school was so clicky, which I know a lot of schools are clicky, but I would say that people don't really care. So
3: clearly Maggie and Freddie's relationship was strained, and Freddie exhibited a lot of this controlling behavior that we see in abusive relationships. He would text and call Maggie regularly and demand instant responses. He would tell Maggie what to wear, what to do, who she could see, where she could go, who she should talk to, and expressed explosive jealousy whenever any of these things were, um, if she contradicted anything he said. So, obviously, the police, like we said, wanted to speak to both of these boyfriends, Freddie and Ricardo, the current and ex-boyfriend. So they went to speak with Maggie's boyfriend, Ricardo, And not only was he devastated when he learned that Maggie had been murdered, he was also recovering from the accident that that they'd been in together after their camping trip the week before. And he had an alibi for the night Maggie was killed. Not only that, Ricardo had some insight into the volatile relationship that Maggie had had with her ex-boyfriend, Freddie, and really kind of urged the cops to go speak with him.
0: Yeah, so the cops go and they talk to Freddie, and they approach his house and they see his car in the driveway. And Freddie doesn't live that far from Maggie, maybe a few blocks at the most. And when they speak to Freddie, he seems pretty casual. He tells the cops that he was out shopping that day with his brother to buy a new transmission for his car. And he seemed upset, but he was kind of pretty stoic overall. The police couldn't really get a great read on him, and he didn't have really an alibi for the window of time when they believed that Maggie was killed.
3: And not only that, they're armed with the the phone right. information, yeah, yeah,, they have
0: the phone information, they know that the call was made, and then, yes, so they leave, but they still have a hunch. Right. they know this but guy they need more this guy's got something to do with it, but they they don't have evidence to prove it, so the officers walk away, and as they pass Freddie's car, one of the officers does a lap around the car, and he looks inside and He's peering inside, uh, you know right before they're ready to leave, and he notices what appears to be dried blood on the car's exterior.
1: and the police also obtained Maggie's phone records, which painted this picture of the hours before Maggie's murder. The investigators learned that Freddie called Maggie at one thirty a m on August seventeenth, and then he ended up driving to her house, and they met in the street outside the home to have a conversation. Sometime during this conversation, Freddie confronted Maggie about her new relationship with her boyfriend, Ricardo, who was much older. And during this conversation, Freddie became upset, jealous, and enraged, and that's when he grabbed a hammer from his car, struck Maggie in the head and face four times until she fell to the ground and died. And then he retrieved the gas can from his car, doused her in gasoline, and lit her on fire.
3: Ugh. Um, so at approximately 8 p.m. the day after Maggie's brutal homicide, the police arrested Freddie at the home he lived in with his parents and his siblings.
2: When I heard that the whole incident happened, I think initially first sure shock because that is pretty unheard of, especially considering where I lived, where I was from, I felt safe in my community and These things just don't seem to happen. Um, And of course, there was sadness, yes, but as a teenager, just being honest, I think that you have a different grasp on emotions than you do as an adult. Um, Things don't hit you as hard as they do when you realize how much you value life and you value the people around you and who you care about. Um, And I think there was a little bit of, I don't know if apprehension is the right word or just the fact that Maggie kind of closed herself off and she was difficult to get to know in some areas. She was pretty feisty, she was sassy. So I think as much as this sounds insensitive, the shock really overtook everything because she seemed so tough. So, you know, used to fighting for herself and fighting for the person that she was and who she wanted to be that, I just, shock was the number one thing on my list. And now as an adult, it's super sad. I watch a lot of the different crime things and having one that happened so close to home was horrible and sad and makes you really value all of the things around you when it comes to your family and your friends that you love so much. When I found out she had been murdered, I think I didn't go right into, oh, it's her boyfriend because when you're 16, like you're not thinking like that. Um, you're more naive and so i think i was under the impression like oh it sounds like it could have been some sort of group thing because when i first heard about it it was different than what was reported afterwards there was initially they thought they they had said they had found a body in a dumpster and then after the fact they came out that the whole thing happened in her mom's house's driveway that she was hit and then burned in front of her mom's house. So there was a couple different conflicting stories. And I think I did not think it was Freddie at all. I would have never expected it being her boyfriend. I thought it would be more like some sort of rough crowd situation, maybe something relating to drugs. I never thought it was Freddie because her and Freddie weren't even together. I know they had broken up and I want to say they had broken up earlier in the school year and then they probably got back together like I said, a volatile relationship. So I don't have a perfect timeline on that, but I was shocked it was Freddie. There was no words so we were all shocked. But I know after the fact, they were reporting that there was the reason why Freddie would do such an awful thing was because there was some sort of conflict with her dating somebody else. When the news reported that it was Freddie, then it all made sense because I had seen him be abusive towards her in school I had seen how they treated each other verbally. I mean, she was always complaining about him in class when things were bad, or she was gushing over him when things were good. And that just sets up for an awful, unhealthy relationship. So at that point, it made sense. But at the same time, it's sad to think that in such a small town where we knew each other, he was so young. He still had a lot of potential. Freddie has a twin brother who's super successful in our town currently. And so just amazing to to think about what life decisions he made and how he kind of sealed his own fate in such an awful way when he had all the potential in the world. Cause he has quite a connected system up there of family members who are great and they're like good members of our community and they do a lot for the community and have businesses up there. So it's insane, but at the same time, it all, it did make sense.
3: And once they had Freddie in custody and got him in the interrogation room, he eventually confessed to beating Maggie to death with a carpenter's hammer and then setting her on fire after pouring gasoline, which is an accelerant, all over her. And after he beat Maggie to death, he got back into his car, dumped her body, and drove away. And he threw the hammer and the lighting fluid out the window on his way home. He was arraigned at the Blaine County Courthouse on Monday afternoon on a charge of first-degree murder, and his bond was set at $2 million.
2: Honestly, I think it's unfathomable to be that upset over another or a new boyfriend because like bludgeoning someone, because uh, from what I remember, she was bludgeoned, and then that's what killed her, and then afterwards she chose to burn her. So that's such an incredibly personal attack. And I, at this point in my life, like wasn't crazy about true crime, but the only crime I had like seen upfront and personal was the Sarah Johnson case, which had happened some years prior. And I just could not imagine someone put the time and effort into thinking, I'm going to bring the proper tools to bludgeon my ex-girlfriend and then set her on fire with flammable liquid. It's insane. I think it's so sad. And obviously he had really, really strong feelings and some severe anger that she had moved on and been with someone else. I think the Sarah Johnson case shook everyone because it was so unassuming Whereas this one was more obvious. Once you have the background and the context information, this was something that, as bad as it is to to say, it was predictable knowing the circumstances because Freddie was very unstable, their relationship was unstable. Clearly, they had a lot of issues. But I think, of course, you don't think something bad like this is going to happen, but the reality of it is, is this did not get coverage nearly like Sarah Johnson did which is so sad because I think that she deserves to have the coverage. She deserves to have more people caring about this case.
0: So Freddie was originally charged with first degree murder, but the the DA's office ends up offering him a deal, which always boggles my mind because I you, know why? you think they haven't had the rights, right?
1: And like, what does that do for you uh, offering this guy a deal yeah. who obviously did it?
0: So he appears in court uh, in shackles and a bulletproof vest, and he pleads guilty to second-degree murder. And they recommend the prosecutors that he be sentenced to 30 years to life.
2: I remember hearing about how like, the sentencing was going and all of the things that were happening in court. And one of the girls in my grade that I was friends with, her dad was actually the judge that sentenced Freddie. And I was shocked at the sentencing. Like that sentencing to me personally was not harsh enough for what he did. And so the whole thing was just so involved and it's crazy. But of course I never thought there was something happening that would top Sarah Johnson as far as gruesome and horrible. Because they both were very, very gruesome. But this is such a personal and close to home situation with two young people in our community.
0: At the sentencing, the prosecutors describe him as a vicious person. Per-
1: <laughs> Philly's fired oh from my the podcast. God. Does anybody I, else want to I, join our podcast? I, I, I read. <laughs> we're looking for a third.
0: At, all right. At his
1: uh, this is so bad
0: so at his sentencing the prosecutors described freddie as a vicious person who tended to resort to violence and maggie's family sat huddled in court and they share a box of tissues as they cry about the loss of maggie and also sat in their sadness about freddie's sentence which one which they considered too lenient and i don't understand why they offered him this deal
1: Why do people usually offer people deals Because the DA They didn't it, want to the waste DA, the money on a court
0: case and the, They don't want to waste the money on a court on a case trial. On the trial The DA is mm. is not confident enough And so often this comes down to It's like I talk about with if it's a missing persons versus a murder case where you know somebody murdered somebody, you can't find the body. Mm-hmm. It's the DA having the guts or the balls or whatever you want to call it to say, you know what? I'm going to go after murder for this guy. Yeah. This is what happens when you have a DA that is timid and the DA is like, you know what? I don't want to spend the money. I just want to just, okay, 30 years is fine. The guy will be really old when he gets out or whatever. But it's He won't, bullshit. though.
3: He's like I know. 45. Well, maybe he's thinking he'll fuck up in prison and end up there longer. But That's no, not I, a good I really, thing to bet I on. really do think that they just, and I don't want to seem accusatory, but I think again, this goes back to the fact that I mean, her case didn't get any coverage because. She's a Latina girl, or I, you know, the the consumers of the news and media don't care, or yeah. they don't think they do. She's and a Latina think, girl
0: in Idaho, in Idaho. which is one of the yeah. widest. And I don't states. think
3: I think this is similar in that it's like let's not waste the money on a trial. Yeah, let's just plead him out and give him a lesser sentence, so we're not and just get be done with so it. They're yeah. not wasting their time. And their no, money. you're not and wasting money. your
0: time. You're not wasting your money, and it's just like you're pushing him away. He'll be gone for thirty years. By the time he's gone, the everybody will be retired yeah and that's really what they're thinking
2: I do think racism was definitely a factor in this because like I said our town is so broken up into different I'll call it hierarchy systems where the Hispanic group of people like they're the people that are valued the least in our community even though they do so much for businesses they're fantastic workers like they at the end of the day are what make businesses successful up there So yeah, I just think that she wasn't valued enough. Her story wasn't valued enough. And there's a lot of judgment on the fact that Freddie had been involved in drugs. I mean, he did have some prior charges. I know that related to drugs. Um, And I know that he had to serve some community service time for something that he did. I know he had to take summer school. Like there was different things that he'd been involved in. And so naturally, I think people in the community looked at that as, oh, like they're delinquent humans which automatically apparently put them in a lesser category.
3: No, there's some people that they fight for and there's some people that they don't. And this is why, mm-hmm. I mean, I have to tell you guys, so we opted when um, Maddie approached us, she came at us with a Sarah Johnson case and with Maggie's case. And I was, I said, I was like, you know, I want to do Maggie's. No one's ever done it.
1: Like and- I said, when we were, when you were first researching it mm-hmm. and then I was trying to just do some research on my own, If you Google her name, maybe one article comes up. And it is just the most minimal article. And then that's it. And it's.
0: And this is a young girl, a 16 year old girl, that was hit in the head with a hammer and set on fire. Mm Yeah. And there have been entire, you know, series on cable about
3: Jessica Chambers. About Jessica Chambers. The -hmm. entire,
0: a whole series, six episodes or whatever, about Jessica Chambers. This woman you can't find. You know, a handful of articles, no, it's
3: like maybe. A, it's like it didn't no, even happen. No, and, you know, to be super real with you guys, it's like this, This, for example, our outlines are usually like 11, 12 pages. This is six because we could hardly find enough information on her, and this girl deserves her story to be told. Mm-hmm. And so we opted to do Maggie's. It was a very hard story to research, and it's hard to get information on these cases, you know, and this wasn't investigated that thoroughly because they caught Freddie really quickly, didn't go to trial. So there's just less on her, but I really... Wanted her story to be told. Yeah. Right? That's what we're doing. But when you, you when you hold it up against the other high profile case in this high school, I mean, they did a Dateline. They did a 2020. Mm-hmm. They did Children Who Kill. I mean, they're sensationalizing it like to the nth degree. But, you know, what's interesting is that Sarah Johnson is this girl who was 16 when she committed a crime. She didn't die, but she got so much more attention than Maggie did. She's a villain. Um, And I think it really does display what we've talked about in a lot of episodes in that the cases the media selects to focus on and the reasons for doing so. And, I mean, one person's life isn't more valuable than Mm -mm. or less valuable than another. And, I mean, Maggie's legacy deserves to live on. And you, you hear about people like Gabe Zimmerman had scholarships opened in his name. And, like, Maggie, her life was just starting. Yeah. And these cases of domestic... Maybe it's not that salacious or riveting because these cases of domestic violence are so prevalent. Not only in general, I mean, when women break up with men, which is what happened here with uh, Freddie and Maggie, I mean, within those months, it's the most dangerous time of their life. Mm -hmm. When you end a relationship with a man, like, that's when you're most likely to die as a woman. And in their communities, too, it's hardly talked about. You know, there are so few uh, articles and, like coverage of these cases when they do happen. So, we thought it was really important to tell Maggie's story and um I think I mean on the heels of this case and talking to Maggie and the three of us got together and we're also going to tell Sarah's story in the next episode because we want to show you guys the difference. Same community, same uh same staff in the DA's office, mm-hmm. same police, same media stations and we're going to show you the glaring differences between not only how they were covered in the media, but how they were received at their schools, how um how if they were how their community ended up responding or to things. or talking, talking about them, you know what they were doing for Maggie versus what they did for Sarah. It's just there's no excuse for it.
2: That was probably the saddest part is no one even mentioned it. I believe that our opening assembly for like kicking off the school year, she was given one slide on a projector at our assembly, like saying in memory of Maggie. But other than that, no one said a word about it. And I don't remember teaching ta- teachers talking about it. I don't remember gathering together and talking about it. No, it was almost like, oh, what happened? and it was treated as if it had happened years in advance not that it happened literally two weeks before our school started
0: so another thing is this is a small school and we heard stories about this volatile relationship that they had with freddie and maggie where he's, he's pushing in the hallways and no one intervenes and this is domestic violence it's a serious issue and it's not, you know, you always hear domestic violence about people who are in, who are married or who are in relationships that are quote unquote adults. These are high school kids. Maggie's case proves it, that somebody needs to step in. The the teachers knew about this, mm-hmm. you know, if the, if the, if all the kids knew about this, the teachers know, the Absolutely. teachers always know there's nobody that, and I know we have some teacher listeners the teachers will agree with us. There's nobody that gossips as much as teachers. They're oh, yeah. always going to talk stuff in that teacher's lounge. And, you know, there are, you know, she finally decides that, you know what, I'm, I'm done. I'm done with this guy. And then he ends up killing her. And that, you know, this case gets swept under the rug.
2: Right. I always think about the Kitty Genovese story, right? I'm sure there's a lot of people out there that love crime where... She was, it was that case in New York where she was screaming and people were looking out the window when she was getting attacked and people still didn't bother to care. I think it's very similar with Maggie. Teachers definitely saw it. People were aware. Our classroom sizes, I don't remember having more than 20 kids per class in my high school. And so the idea that people weren't seeing it is completely false. People were seeing it, people were just unwilling to stick up and say something because it's hard at the end of the day i think people don't want to get involved in other people's business because they're worried about repercussions but i think it would have been worth it and in fact like me being a bystander i'm completely one of those people that chose not to say anything because you don't know that the what's at stake and you're young like high school's a hard time people aren't thinking rationally there's so many hormones different things and Because of Maggie and Freddie's personality, with Freddie being like the quiet person that you know has something in him that makes him a little bit scary with like drug charges and things like that. I think there was a little bit of fear around him. And then with Maggie, like she was very much in your face. She had no problem being in your face. So when you have someone who comes across as not being very vulnerable, it's easier to think, oh, they don't need help. Like they can handle it. Then you see what happens as a result.
1: And let's remember the fact that Maggie was murdered two weeks before everybody went back to school. So, this is super fresh in their community. This is super fresh in everybody's minds. You would assume that, like, anybody in the community and the kids going back to school would be talking about it, and there would be support groups or there would be some kind of counseling, anything. But that wasn't the case whatsoever
2: yeah i guess one thing related to domestic violence that i would say is interesting is that's something within a school because me i am a like english teacher by trade myself so i work in the school environment and when something happens that is negative or something a death were to happen or something that's traumatic of some sort there's always resources provided to the students like hey come and chat about this we know that this happened if you want to talk to our school counselors about this situation go for it and that was something that did not even come up and like i said the crime happened three weeks before we ended up going back to school for our junior year of high school And there was zero conversation in school about, hey, what happened? Or we can talk about this or talk about something that is traumatic and how we can work through it or process it. And I thought that was really interesting because I'm not a teacher currently, but I taught prior to this and little things even. um, If something traumatic goes on in your town, they offer support and they want students to talk about it and kind of process it. And that was not something that happened at all yeah with the sarah johnson case there was weeks of people being willing to say hey or i remember even having a the the principal come to the loudspeaker and saying there will be counselors here for your the rest of your week that are available to talk about it and so i definitely remember there being opportunity to go see a counselor. If you knew her, there were people bawling in the school. A lot of her girls that she had helped were just bawling. They were devastated. It was offered for Sarah Johnson, but not for Maggie. I think it's super strange because at the end of the day, who's to say like who's worth more, right? At the end of the day, I think this boils down to the worth of her as a person. She wasn't known super well like sarah johnson was and so as a result she was validated less when it came to people wanting to talk about it and get her story out there and kind of memorialize her and try to make a difference because of what happened
0: so maggie's mother still lives in the same house that her daughter was killed in front of and i always hear about that you know just people living in that same. Cause a lot of times people can't move You know, you you can't just get get up and move. It's expensive. You can't just do it, yeah. Mm -hmm. And you're going to disrupt their whole lives. But thinking about that, thinking about you, you've got to walk past. I can't imagine that driveway every day.
1: But then also, I mean, you have to kind of think about it on the flip side too, where it's like those are memories and physical things that you can hold on to. Your daughter, whereas if you moved and you got rid of every single thing that reminded, I don't know which is worse. I don't know. There was an
3: article that uh, they went to her house and took pictures inside and stuff, and it was just all pictures of Maggie. I can't even imagine what it would be like or that decision. It's like, do I want to not think about it or do I want to think about it? Otherwise, will, will, her, will her memories die? Right. Yeah. That's, that's, I would have no idea. No, neither.
2: Um, her mother was definitely involved in the community. She was a cleaning lady for different like public buildings, if I remember correctly. And normally like I feel like this day and age, people are setting up GoFundMe or different things to help support families in these times. I don't remember anything about anyone setting up a support system or anything for Maggie's family. Not to mention Maggie had four siblings. I think she had older siblings and younger siblings who all were having to deal and mourn with this situation. I think the aftermath of experiencing something like this that was so close to home has definitely made me more leery in ways that I... I feel like you can't trust everyone, right? I think that you have to really vet out the people that you're around. And it shows that, um, especially in relationships, the people that we think we know really well, we actually might not know super well. Because in their situation, Freddie and Maggie knew each other for quite a span of time. I mean, we had all grown up together. And even though he was older, he hung around her crowd of people. And I think that They knew each other really well, and I'm sure in her mind, she never, ever worried about this happening to her. And so, yeah, it makes you really question, do I know the people around me? Do I know the people that I say I love and care about? And do they have the same feelings that I do for them?
3: So this is a case you guys are all hearing about on a podcast. It's really sad. It's awful. It's domestic violence. It's a 16-year-old losing their life. But this is really, you know... Maggie lost her life, and this is what her mother and her siblings and her friends live with every day. And we were really touched by this, and we see this too much in that the media pick and chooses whose life is worth covering and whose story is worth telling. So because this unique situation has come about in that our first-degree connection knew both Sarah Johnson, a 16-year-old that received massive media coverage for actually perpetrating horrible crimes... And also Maggie, who's a 16-year-old who lost her life and was the victim of a horrible crime. And we see this vast difference in how each of their cases were, you know, not only covered, but also received and kind of cared about by those Mm -hmm. in the community. We are going to tell Sarah's story next week so you guys can really see what we're talking about. This is a very small town, and it's kind of like a a case study on this uh, phenomenon that we kind of point out a lot within our podcast episode. So we think it's an interesting experiment and we're looking forward to you observing.
1: And again, our podcast is fueled by you guys and your connections to murders or other stranger than fiction stories. And this, this is what makes our podcast really special to us because it allows us to see this perspective from one person and two different completely different cases that she's connected to and what those differences are. So, Um. Yeah. Tune in next week for Sarah's story and uh, follow us on Instagram at the First Degree at Alexis Linkletter at Billy Jensen at Jack Vanek, and send us your stories. Uh, we're getting a lot of really good submissions.
3: Lots is of good ones. Very exciting. But we still want yours. If yes,
0: we still want yours.
3: If you're questioning, sending it, just send it. Everyone's like, I'm, I'm scared to send it, and then they tell me, I'm like, This is amazing. What's wrong with you? <laughs> I know send. Alexis will
1: respond asap. Eagerly.
0: Yeah. Eagerly respond. And again, it's those one. That that don't necessarily have to bubble up from the media. That's mm-hmm. the whole like point. Like this one, like this one did not bubble up from the media, yeah. and we never would have found this one. Really, yeah. I mean, if we I mean, we would have had to have dug incredibly deep and done like some incredible search terms no we never would have found it because
3: this is a common story that isn't told very much that gets completely discarded
1: and forgotten about Exactly, and that's the thing it's like we want to tell these stories that get forgotten about that it's what makes our podcast really cool for us because if we were the ones choosing the cases to cover it would probably be vastly different than the ones that we end up covering so please write us your stories and uh big or small they're all important they're all important and uh Keep your friends close, but not that close.
3: Happy handcuff day. Oh my God, you're, Happy handcuff day, everyone. The way you stuck your neck out when you did this. <laughs> Happy pterodactyl Alexis neck day. <laughs> you look like a frog. <laughs> or not a frog turtle. <laughs> it's too late. Over and out. Handcuff.